no task is too small for self-criticism. I have this distinct sensation every time I leave my body and I'm looking at myself and I'm criticizing myself all the time. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast. Today we continue our conversation in our mini-series on cognition, and we have been interviewing um, many psychologists and neurosurgeons talking about the aspects of cognition and how we intersect with patients with, say, a cognitive problem. Now today we're going to turn the tables a bit, and we're going to talk about the neurosurgeon as the subject, that is, how the neurosurgeon's cognition might impact uh, healthcare, if you will. So we're delighted to be joined uh, again by Jacques Morcos. Jacques is one of my partners. He's the vice chair of neurosurgery here at University of Miami, and he is a accomplished uh, cerebrovascular and skull-based surgeon. Jacques, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Mike, and thanks, JP, for having me back. Yeah, so we wanted to almost continue the conversation from your last podcast where you had talked about this concept of, of metacognition and how that, that might play into how a surgeon behaves. But let's back up a little bit and talk about the the surgeon's perspective of things. In other words, when you talk to high-functioning athletes, there's often this concept of sort of being in a zone, right? And so as neurosurgeons, our awareness of our environment is, is, is incredibly important, right? So do you want to elaborate a little bit on that and how what we do and how we see things and how that affects how we think about things might affect our care of patients? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is a, this is a subject really dear to my heart, Mike. Uh, this, I actually, I haven't become aware of kind of that whole literature on the psychology of the surgeon and things till probably about 10 years ago when I read the book by the Hungarian psychologist Mihaly, whose last name I cannot pronounce, full of consonants, but uh, yeah, this is an old book called Flow. And, you know, I realized when, when, when I think of surgeons and who, who considers themselves a happy surgeon, happy in their professional life, boy, does it fall exactly in the description that he gives of who is in the flow zone in their work, in their career. And I noticed, luckily, uh, I'm a happy guy. And I'm a happy guy because of some of those characteristics that that he describes that puts us in this flow zone. And, you know, it's a whole book, but the bottom line is this, when the, the action kind of becomes fused with the awareness of the task, when you forget yourself into the task, when your intensity of focus is so deep that kind of, you know, it's this one of this out-of-body experience where I think he interviewed one surgeon who said during surgery, uh, he he can't, he doesn't think of his body. He, it's, he reduces himself to his hands, I guess, under the microscope. I'm not sure if it's general surgeon or uh, what type of specialty he was. But uh, so this ability to 
put yourself in the zone to repeat that task to improve every time, I guess, is what makes uh, somebody an experienced surgeon after several years. This uh, this repetition of learning and, and makes you happy if you love what you're doing. Now, Dr. Morcos, for some of our listeners who either are not familiar with these psychological concepts or who have not themselves experienced a state of flow, at least that they were aware of enough to think about it and describe it to themselves, can we try to parse out what sets this apart from just running on autopilot, so to speak, as as many people do in their day-to-day lives? How does this differ from not thinking about what you're doing and instead you know, demand an even higher level of attention to the task at hand, even if your regular conscious identity and normal thoughts aren't really with you while you're performing that task? Yeah, the, great question. Great. And, and you're right. This is actually what this question is exactly what I think differentiates the novice from the expert to some degree. Because the novice is nervous, is uh, he or she is trying to perform the task, focuses on this task with no long-term planning. Let's, let's be done today without screwing up. But of course, the expert is always trying to improve their skill time after time. So I, the best way probably is it's a series of sensations. Number one, you really... When you're in flow, there is this, uh, Mihaly talks about this clarity of purpose. You have such a clarity in the purpose of what you're doing. It's not a, it's not a vague concept. It is very clear what you want to achieve now, how it builds on what you've achieved before. Second thing is kind of you're living that moment. You really are living, enjoying the moment uh, Yes, there is a purpose to it, but if there is no enjoyment in the task, th- th- you're not in a flow zone. Um, you're resonating kind of with the task you're doing. You're focused. You're fully concentrated. Um, and you're, you uh, again, this issue of forgetting yourself in time. I mean, you know, I'm doing a 12-hour Petro Clival meningioma. I mean, we all have that experience. You look at the clock. It's whatever, 9 a.m., I look at it, what I think two minutes later, it's already 11 a.m. I've been working two hours and it felt like, you know, two minutes. Um, but the mo- I think the most important factor, what he described, he called it uh, autotelic, meaning you're doing it for its, you're doing the task for its own sake. Now, you know, when you think of autotelic, that can be a danger because it's, you know, <laughs> there may be the tendency of perhaps certain surgeons wanting to do a certain surgery because they just love to do it, you know, not because there is a certain uh, goal for the patient. Obviously, that's not the goal here. But I think those are the important things. My three kids did drawing, and I think Mike heard me one time as give a presentation, that an analogy between rowing and neurosurgery when you're in that flow zone and you're really in that, exactly in that flow state. And it's, it's very similar. And so maybe for us, if you could try to estimate where in your career and professional development, you first started uh, brushing elbows with this flow state. And when you started really noticing that you entered it while operating, 
to again try to help maybe some of the residents, fellows, students who are listening, try to get a sense of when they can expect that and trust that feeling versus when they might be suspicious of if their mind wanders, it's just autopilot and they need to snap back into focus. Yeah, I, I, the time, yeah, great question again. I, um, I think, uh, JP, it, dif- uh, it differs for different types of surgeries when I think of it. Uh, there are some surgeries mm-hmm. you do, you know, the, the typical one, I, I tell my residents this all the time, acoustic neuroma surgery, for me, it may be very different for somebody else, is an operation that I kept improving. It took me longer to enter the flow zone with an acoustic neuroma surgery than any other surgery. Uh, maybe it's where well, it might surprise some people. Maybe they would have thought, oh, high flow bypass or petrochlival. No, no. Saving that facial nerve took me a long time to, to, to enter that subtle zone where I think I've kind of reached competence or perhaps beyond. Um, I would say eight or nine years into, into becoming an attending is probably when I started getting in this flow state. And you know that's just me. Maybe you know more talented people will reach it earlier, but that's me. So, Jacques, is there a way to pursue this? Because it, it seems to me elusive, right? It's almost like the more you you strive for this, maybe the harder it, it is to achieve. Is there a way to achieve flow or flow state? For example, uh, you know what I would think I would do is I would start with a simpler task, maybe a simpler surgery, get into a flow state there, and then try to duplicate that with another surgery or do you think it just comes to practice and experience is it a mindset are there emotive aspects that play into this for example if you're tired if you're not tired tell us more about how to get to that state or or if you can even try to get there yeah very hard to explain but again smarter smart psychologists more than 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 me and and others kind of have tried to analyze how we surgeons or physicians in general perform and what what makes get us give the optimal performance and then you know that takes you into self-awareness and that whole other concept of metacognition that ability to think about your own thinking to learn about your own learning and uh, i think we brushed into that topic last time you guys interviewed me when i kind of described this out of body experience you're in the or and you kind of your body i i have this distinct sensation every time I leave my body and I'm looking at myself and I'm criticizing myself all the time. So, you know, so how do you achieve it? Yes, it's practice, but it's rehearsed practice and it's repetition. And, uh, you know, you break it down into the knowledge. You're breaking down into how you regulate your thinking about your thinking. And then you break it down into your own experiences. So it's like the, you know, the what, the how and the when. Um, to give, I mean, I don't to give perhaps a concrete example. You do, yes, you, of course, you start small. I mean, no task is too small for self criticism. You need whatever it is you do, a, a small microdiscectomy, a subdural. I mean, I when I'm with my residents, I, I really maybe I drive them crazy, but I say, well, why did you hold the needle holder this way? Let's analyze this. I do it to myself all the time. I'm driving back after surgery. If we're not if we're not running every operation we're doing, well, every most operations we're doing as a movie in our own mind at the end of the day, we're missing out. We're missing out 
on improving the skill for the next challenge that's going to come on our way. That's probably the best way I can describe it. And I've seen it in all my colleagues, my peers who love what they do, like me, who just want to improve. We're always trying to learn. It's this self-criticism, this... Uh, you, you you don't want there's a difference you don't want to be self obsessed that's that's the fault you want to be self critical it's not a matter of oh look how great i am no let's look at the fault in every move i've made today now you know i'm i'm answering you mostly about technical surgeries of course you take it to the there are many other dimensions to us neurosurgeons the way you talk to patients the way the way you sit with a patient in the clinic, the way you smile at the right moment, the way you don't look at your phone while they're talking to you. You know what I mean? It's, it's a whole behavioral thing that we have to perfect. And that's what comes, that comes with time, of course, and your awareness of your awareness. And that's what the whole metacognitive field is all about. Is That's the only way, to, honestly, that's the only way to improve. You do not improve if you don't self-analyze at, at those different levels. Dr. Morcos, I love hearing you talk about these concepts and these different ways that you think about the cases. These are some ideas that I've just begun to develop in my own professional growth and experience with patients and trying to see an, an individual case as more than this one procedure and start to see it as this patient a month ago who started feeling unwell and in a month will be back in clinic, hopefully feeling better. And that procedure is one small step in the way. Um, taking a similar approach to thinking about the surgery itself, um, as you talk about the tiniest thing uh, being an integral part of the whole, um, psychologically, people can often undergo something called chunking or batching or grouping of various ideas where you can take a given procedure, let's talk about a technical surgery, and you can view it as the whole surgery from start to finish, or you can view it as all those discrete tiny steps, even the exposure. A novice could think about the quality of the incision, while you might just think about viewing the whole thing as the flap that you can already imagine laid out. So thinking about this metacognitive approach to your surgeries, when you see a scan and see a patient and walk into the operating room and look down at, at the head prepared for you, what's going through your mind when you look down? And what, I think of how to phrase this, what size are the steps that you're seeing in that surgery you're about to begin? Yeah, um, th that Again, you're, if you if you if somebody else listened to what you just asked me and replaced the word surgery by sports or athletic performance, it, right. it'll be exactly the same answer. Um, you're prehearsing. Uh, we've rehearsed. You're rehearsing. You're prehearsing. You are. I am doing a fast run of a virtual movie in my mind in about five to ten seconds as I'm standing by this patient in the operating room, how I'm seeing this operation develop. And what's and it's what's interesting, the more years go by, the more episodes of disasters are I intersperse them in episodes of hopefully perfection. So so then the memories of where I screwed up at a certain step on another patient or the aneurysm blew up or something. And those 
become what we call complication avoidance steps. So every, I am sure Mike does it and, and you, JP, will, will be doing it more and more. There has to be a reason for every technical move you make at surgery that is linked to a complication avoidance. If it's, if it was going to result in a, you know, if it didn't, if it result in a complication before, you must have learned from that lesson and change what you've done. Correct. Otherwise, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're not learning anything. So I am visualizing the key steps of the surgery and I'm saying to myself, here is plan A and there is a plan B and there is a plan C. And if I don't have a plan B and plan C, uh, I'm behind the eighth ball when a disaster could struck. Um, I can keep talking about it too long, but, I, you know, I, I'm going to stop here and see what, what else. No, happens. no, Jock, that's a great point. And I want to bring you back to it from the sense, from the standpoint of cognition. So, I want to declare proudly that just like professional athletes or maybe the elite military, we are a performance uh, obsessed culture, right? In other words, we are obsessed with our performance in surgery, in clinic and in meetings and how we give talks and all that, which I think is a a real highlight and an attractant to neurosurgery. But you've already touched on this issue of the ultimate performance, meaning your best performance. I now also want to turn to the attention of the the bad performance and how to mitigate that. So you want to maximize, of course, the perfect tens and you want to mitigate the fours and the twos. And uh, I'm reminded by our podcast uh, recording with Mike Lawton, where he, he spontaneously says that he doesn't drink coffee and the residents know I don't drink coffee and, and I I can tell in the OR when they've been drinking coffee, I said, look, you've been drinking coffee. I can tell right away because your hand's shaking like a leaf. And so for me, you know, I, part of that becomes, well, you know, there are certain things you can do. And I guess this would fall in the world of sports psychology or sports nutrition. Like jet fighter pilots have to train cardiovascularly so they can stand these high G situations, right? And so I would think a surgeon would do the same thing. So I want to ask the Jacques Morcos I know as a partner and friend, what are the things you do physically, mentally, psychologically, socially that prevent you from having those 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 two out of 10 surgeries? Yeah. I Well, I've never liked coffee, so I've never had to quit it. So I've, I'm a, a green tea and black tea drinker all my life obviously i don't smoke i'm not a particularly (laughs) gifted athlete we talked about my cycling last time that's all i do for physical activities but it is really mike uh, uh, it's the mental game um i am uh, I, i just know how to well now i do i know how to get in the zone of preparation i i uh, I cannot think of certain physical things that I do. To be honest, I, I'm sure I perform better if I've had a full night's sleep. But to be honest, it, I don't think it matters very much. As you know, I've, I've gone on to very long surgeries. doesn't seem, I don't think, to affect tremendously the performance near the end. Uh, but it's, it's really the mental game. It's just the ability to zone out everything and just to focus on the task. Um, when I don't remember if we mentioned it before, but I've said it many times, when my youngest daughter was very small, uh, I mean, I would think of her when a disaster was about to happen or is happening. I would think how she's going to be home when I'm going to be done, whatever way I'm going to be done today. You know, those things that lift you up. Um at, at, the, at the dark moments of certain surgeries. 
but the key uh, the key is not to panic. And again, I think they've done. I remember reading a long time ago, they've taken the pulse of surgeons during surgeries and then sudden disaster strike. And of course, the experienced surgeon's pulse goes up less than the novice. And we all train to do that. We all train to, in, like in vascular, you know, an aneurysm rupture. Well, you know, the more experienced you are, the less your pulse goes up because you know 10 different tricks to, to, to stop it uh, as opposed to the novice, things like that. Exactly, Dr. Marcos. All those years of experience and uh, experiencing the complications you learn to avoid is a kind of exposure therapy in and of itself. Um, I wonder, as this conversation sadly has to draw to a close, having talked about how in your career you reach the flow state and how you experience it every day in the operating room, I wonder, is there another side to the flow state that you enter when you're operating? Um, having done a given procedure where you've reached that level for 10 or more years and you continue doing that procedure, continue striving to reach the perfect surgery every day, is there any transition state on the other side of that? Is it some kind of next level or, or are there any simple steps or simpler procedures for which you've lost that sense of flow and they are just trivial, simple things that you need to get through? Yes, uh, abs- great question. If you if I, if you go back to the work of Mihaly, he's got a he's got a graph of uh, skill versus challenges. Think of that x-axis as skills, y-axis challenges. The flow state, of course, is in the upper right corner. High skill, high challenges. I mean, there are so many ways I can get excited about doing a VP shunt. You're right. I mean, I you know fine. We can perfect it, but you know, then then you've you've saturated. So you need to move on to something else. And uh, the the key is as long as you want to have a professionally happy, productive, challenging flow state career, is to keep moving in the top right corner further and further from the center point. Meaning, I want to take on the next challenge. Uh, I want to do, not because for its own sake, even though I said autotelic is very important, but for the sake of a patient with a more complex problem, I want to come up with a more uh, more original bypass technique to deal with this aneurysm built on what I've already known. I want to try to remove this petroclival meningioma, perhaps with a more novel approach. You have to push yourself, otherwise boredom would set in, no question. Uh, um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but yes, you absolutely have to push yourself. And I guess many people, many neurosurgeons, surgeons, physicians probably choose to retire when they stop being stimulated and happy when uh, they cannot push their flow zone border any further, I would assume. And I'm sure there are other reasons, financial, family, whatever it is. But uh, certainly I think I will, uh, decide to 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 hang the coat when i am not stimulated anymore by my daily uh, work which is not work at all because it's love but it's not work but anyway well dr morcos i in in fairness i should have warned you ahead of time but i think it would be remiss to our listeners and to me personally if we had you on to talk about cognition and the cognitive aspects of neurosurgery and we did not once again wrap the episode with 
a classic Jacques Morcos puzzle or riddle. <laughs> if you can reach into your vast stores of be it physics or logic or mathematics, anything for an episode okay. on cognition and neurosurgery, what can we leave our listeners with? Oh, I oh, my favorite topic. Okay, I, I, I'm trying to remember. You asked well, me this. I'll remind you, last time we did the twins who lie and tell the truth. Oh, perfect. I've got one. Okay, my friend JP, you're on a desert island and you have no clock and you have no way of telling time by reading the stars or the sun or anything like that. And I give you two ropes and they are very different from each other. Each rope is heterogeneous. It has thick parts. It has thin parts. Two completely different ropes. And I give you a bunch of matches. The only thing these two ropes have in common is that they take one hour to burn from one end to the end, to the other end. If you light it at one end, it takes one hour. First rope and second rope each take one hour. My friend JP, I want you to do whatever you want with these ropes and these matches. I need you to time exactly 45 minutes. I'm sure you'll be able to do it. All right. Well, listeners, uh, put on your thinking caps. And in next week's episode, we will share the answer to this puzzle. Uh, you can write us in with your best guess at neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com or uh, tweet at us at neurosurgerypodcast on Twitter. Um, I will remind our listeners, Dr. Morcos' last episode was episode 30 of the show, where he talked about the anatomy of the neurosurgeon, what goes into making someone who can make it in this field. Um, but most importantly, Dr. Morcos, we just want to thank you again for joining us today on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Thank you, guys. Love it every time. Take a second to think about how you got to where you are today. It was by others investing in your education, and now you can pay it forward. It's as simple as using your Amazon account that we all have and we all love. Please consider contributing to the Neurosurgery Research and Education Foundation via Amazon Smile. If you have any questions regarding signing up, uh, email us at the Podcast at gmail.com.